Uh, uh, he was in, enrolled in the program, and, and Melvin enc uh, encouraged me to come, and so we came. I came out with him and took a class in Hebrews, and I think it was postmodernism, and uh, so I started down that. I, I don't like to quit things that I start, and so uh, I keep kept plugging along, and then eventually finished. And um, but this uh, this school. The faculty that it has in the master's program are, are solid men. You know, you take a, 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 an older preacher, um, guy, a man who studied the book of John for years and years and years or studied some of these topics to the depth that these men have. Uh, you know, you're, you're drinking from a, a fire hose, you know, in, in some of these courses. Um, I was jealous when I came to teach in the spring. Because in the Romans class, uh, Dan Owen is there, and I'm asking, you know, I'm trying to get some nuggets from the guys, you know, give me, give me some nuggets, so you know, what, what's the class like? And, and they're, uh, they're, they're telling me that Dan Owen walks in with his Greek New Testament under a, a lamp of some sort and just translates it, and it's just, uh, that's how he teaches. And I'm like, really? Wow. So that's the kind of faculty and uh, and uh, that are in the master's program, and, and I have a tremendous amount of respect, and and they have a, an impression upon my soul. I help I hope to take some of the things that I've learned and help other folks. Appreciate you being here uh, this afternoon. This is the, the the time where usually the drool starts to come out, right? It's a Sunday <laughs> afternoon, so so you've braved, you pushed through the nap. Uh, maybe you've got some caffeine. I appreciate you being here. Uh, it's an important topic. How faithful is faithful enough? I mean, Max. Max is 27 years old. Max is an engineer. Max goes to a congregation where uh, his grandmother and his grandfather have a, a, they were anchors in the congregation. In fact, his grandfather is now passed, but his grandmother is kind of an anchoring point in that congregation. Max's parents come to services every Sunday. Max's dad, however, is not baptized. The congregation, as they look at Max at this point in his life, they see Max maybe five to six times a year. They think when Grandma dies, they won't see Max anymore. Think about Max. Is Max faithful? Is Max faithful enough? Meet Walter. Walter is a faithful member of the Lord's church, people think. Uh, he's there every time the doors are open. He is a go-getter. He gets things done. He does stuff around the building. Uh, he works hard. He happens to rub people the wrong way. He is cantankerous. He is hard-headed. He is opinionated. When people try to engage with him, he, he turns them off. He, uh, there are certain women in the congregation where Walter worships that he said certain things to. When he's been confronted about those things, he'll say, well, I was just kidding. Walter is this type of personality in a congregation. Some brethren in the congregation give Walter a pass because Walter has lots of health issues. Is Walter faithful? Is Walter faithful enough? Meet Lily. Lily is pregnant with her third child. Her father was an alcoholic. She grew up in this home, and while her father never beat her physically, he was verbally abusive to her. Lily has a low self-esteem, and she is married to a type A personality who is possessive, who is controlling, who's dominant. And people say to Lily sometimes, hey, you, Lily, you might want to uh, not let your husband treat you like a doormat. 
Lily, as she reads the scriptures and at this point in her life, uh, having grown up in that household and now in this marriage with this particular man, she still struggles with these issues of self-esteem. She looks at God and she looks at scripture. She looks at God as a relentless taskmaster. As always expecting, but never good enough. That's how her father treated her. That's how her husband does. Her prayer life is drying up. When she reads the scriptures, she just sees and she's humiliated at how little she feels like she can do to serve God. Is Lily faithful? What's going on in Lily's life? How would we help her? I want us to think about this this afternoon. And then one more. Meet Missy. Missy was baptized at age 15. She attends church uh, services every Sunday morning. She's in her third year of college. She's a sweet young girl. She's a bookworm. She's quiet. She's super smart. She keeps to herself a lot. When the last amen is said at the end of Sunday morning services, she makes a beeline for her car. Hospitality folks swirl around Missy on a regular basis. They try to get her plugged in to all these different activities, whether it be youth activities or other activities that the congregation gets involved with. Um, But they are kind of at the end of their limit in terms of inviting, inviting, inviting. They don't know what else to do. Is Missy faithful? Is Missy faithful enough? I want to encourage you this afternoon to think about this question with me. A couple different dynamics that we could look at as we look at this question. First of all, some basics. When we ask the question, is a person faithful and are they faithful enough? We have to ask the question, to whom are we talking about? Are we talking about man being faithful to another man or a man being faithful to a woman in a marriage situation or an employer or employee? Faithful to whom and faithful in what? What would be the standard by which we would judge their faithfulness? So this is kind of at the core. And then we ask this term uh, enough. Are we faithful? Is a person faithful? Are they faithful enough? Faithful enough, people could ask it from a couple different angles. One angle could be, are they faithful enough in the terms of qualitatively? Are they faithful enough qualitatively? If you were to look in Matthew chapter 23, 23, Jesus would say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. So here, Jesus does describe some aspects of the law that are weightier, qualitative in nature, but also quantitatively. When we think about a new convert or a new Christian that we're teaching the gospel to, and as they're taking this journey, and as we're trying to uh, encourage them to put on Christ in baptism and things of that nature, they begin in milk. And they ought not to stay in milk. But here's a quantitative aspect of faith that we might think about. Several passages we could look at uh, in terms of that. When you think about the basics of faith, what exactly is faith? When you think about faith, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 is one that we quote often. Without faith, it's impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith at least involves the mind's willingness, the mind's acceptance of the propositional truth of the scriptures. So here is a faith that's unchanging, Jude says, a faith that's once for all delivered. This is the objective faith. This is unchanging. It's once for all delivered from Genesis to Revelation. This is the canon. This is the word of God. But our faith 
is subjective in nature. That is, our faith, we are to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our faith that we're either growing closer to God or we're either uh, pulling back from him. And so as our life aligns with this word, the more we learn it, the more we live it, the greater our faith is. So part of uh, the aspect of faith, uh, one aspect is called assent or the mind's willingness to accept these truths. Another aspect of faith is the trust aspect of faith. This is saying not only does my mind cognitively do I believe these things are true, but I'm willing to put these things into practice. I trust the God who is the author of this. And I put my life, my mind, my body, my soul, my strength into his hands. I trust God. And so I I put myself into his service as I uh, attempt to live out the truths that are in that. So uh, in the in the basic sense of faith, when we look at the, the, the very core of what it is, it involves the mind's willingness to accept these truths and then the body and spirit's willingness to put these things into action. We must have more faith than a demon. And uh, it must not just be an academic exercise. Uh, it is it does involve logic and does involve reasoning, but it also involves the will and uh, and the human heart uh, in those things. When you think about uh, faithfulness and being faithful enough, I want us to think also that we must employ the right standard when we think about faith. One standard that sometimes folks use is they measure their faith by themselves. I'll create my own standard. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. So the standard of faith isn't the herd. The standard of faith isn't myself who have come to some understanding of what I should or shouldn't do, perhaps. The standard moves beyond that. Another standard that is that we should not use is others with more or less abilities than ourselves. And I won't I won't flesh this out in a, in a great uh, detail, but I'll make this point in Romans chapter 12 and verses one and two. We're to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. Well, as you move down through that text, Paul will then in verse six through eight talk about how we might present our bodies as a living sacrifice. In the church at Rome, there were individuals with various gifts. In uh, verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. The grace of God will impart uh, unto different individuals by reason of education, by uh, reason of maybe their parents' wealth, by by reason of where they grew up in a certain country, by by reason of language that they speak. God's grace imparts to us by our mere creation, having come from our parents, certain uh, nurture and nature type gifts that are granted unto us. Well, Paul would say to the church in Rome, as you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, here are individuals with different strengths. Every congregation has them. As he moves through that, he talks about those who are strong in service, those who are strong in teaching, those who are strong in exhortation, those who are strong in giving, those who are strong in leadership, those who are strong in mercy. If you have those strengths, put them into use. Another passage you could look at is Matthew 25 and verse 15. Here's the parable of the talents where the picture is being painted by the Lord of God entrusting into various servants 
one, two, and five talents. A talent there being a, a measure of, of property that's entrusted into these uh, various servants. So we see from, from, uh, from the Bible that different people have different abilities. Different people have different strengths. And so uh, the, the one-talent man wasn't expected to come back with five. The two-talent man wasn't expected to come back with five. But they were expected to use the talent that, that, the, that their master had entrusted them uh, in, in that service. So this, uh, we ought not to look at what others can do or, you know, you come to a lectureship like this and, you know, you've got, you've got guys that are scholars that can open up their Hebrew or their Greek and just translate, like just go to town. And I'm like drooling, right? Like, Wow. What's that mind like? I'd like to crawl in. The, when they were talking the other day about uh, Dan Owen and Denny, you know, I, I, uh, I thought, wouldn't it be cool to be a fly on the wall when Dan Owen and Denny uh, get to discuss some Bible topics? That would have been. Um, but different people have different strengths, different abilities. Uh, and so the Bible brings that out. Let's use those to be faithful to God. The standard we ought to use is Jesus, who is the author and finisher of our faith. Whatever strengths God has given me, Lord, help me minimize my weaknesses. Cover them over, Lord. Bury them. Put them in the ground somewhere. But Lord, please help me to, to use whatever strengths or whatever abilities you've given me to your glory. And help me to multiply whatever talent you've given to me. I don't want to be the person that buries it. I want to please you. That's what's at the heart of being faithful. And so we're living uh, in the image uh, and in the light of Christ and his word. uh, John chapter 12, verse 48, the one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. And so we need to follow that for our standard uh, of faithfulness. Also, when we think about faithfulness, we need to move beyond mere milk. We need to move beyond mere milk, not the least or the bare bones. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12, it says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. Folks need to move beyond that. If you're going to ask, am I faithful? Well, how long... Have you known these principles taught in the scripture and how long have you built upon them? Are you still on milk? Are you still uh, are you still on those very basic principles about uh, the nature of worship on the basic principles concerning salvation? Is that still what's at the core of your of your faithfulness or have you moved beyond into some of the some of the more meatier matters and uh, and things of that nature? I want to ask you to think about this question. If a young man was considering uh, marrying another woman, and just imagine they're engaged, we'll just say for the sake of discussion, let's say they're, they're engaged, and imagine for the sake of discussion that they have this conversation, honey, what's the least I can possibly do to be faithful to you? I mean, do you want me home every night during the week? And, you know, how many times are you really going to want me to play with the kids? Are you going to want that often? And holidays, family reunions, do I have to go to those? You know, if we get married, 
There's going to be a lot of things that you might expect. Can we just get this one romantic dinner out of the way? And then this first year, how about this first year and this first year, we'll just we'll get the birthday done. We'll get Valentine's Day. We'll get get those holidays out because, you know, those are a lot of dates to remember. I mean, what's the least I can do to be faithful to you? I mean, I'll call you, you know, once every couple weeks. We'll, you know, maybe once a year we'll get together. Let's just get those things out the first. What will we think about a relationship like that? We think it's in trouble. We would advise her to run, right? Like run, like find a hole, stay in the hole till the tornado runs by and get away from him. Right. So but what about God? Do folks treat God like that? I mean, just give me just give me the nuts and bolts. Just give me the basics. What's the bottom line? What's the least I have to do? Sometimes sometimes people will ask that from a perspective of they're trying to, to get their foot in the door, maybe. Maybe this is a person who's never never come to faith. And maybe they want, you know, just tell me where I, where you think I'm at and where I need to be. Maybe they're that straightforward. But is it true sometimes that folks will say, just give me the bare bones, the bottom line, the least. That's what I want to give my Lord. I want us to think this afternoon that that... That's not right. That's not what we ought to do for the Lord. We can't just go in with the very least, uh, the very basics in an attempt to please God. When we we think about being faithful enough, we need to see the whole and not just a part. We could develop this more, but I'll say this. There are times when we really encourage folks to obey the plan of salvation. And rightfully so. It's necessary in evangelism. We've got to teach them these these elements of what the gospel is about. And Acts will repeat these things over and over again. The gospel accounts will point to them, right? And so when we think about being faithful enough, we must be individuals that understand that faith is everything that we are or everything that we should be. Whatsoever you do in word or deed, Colossians 3.17, you do it by Christ's authority, right? So you do it in faith. You should do it in faith. If we're doing things that are not of faith, then we should stop those. But I think sometimes, and, and, and those are in preachers in here. Have you ever had those funerals where people will say, well, they didn't come to church. They haven't been here in 10, 20 years, but they were baptized. They were baptized. That's great that they were baptized. We thank God they were baptized. But were they faithful? And, and, and preachers will have to stand there and say something, right? What do you say? This person was baptized 20 years ago, and now they haven't set foot in the church. And they've, they said, you can pray with me, but I'm not coming back. What do, you, what do you do in a situation like that? I think sometimes we have to be careful because sometimes people will say, well, a person's been baptized or a person attends. Here's a person who attends and they attend every Sunday morning and their week is carved out and they're there unless they're out of town or traveling. They're there for that one hour every Sunday and they don't miss. But where are they the rest of the time that the church is together? When you read Acts chapter 2, 
and the church is together. They have all things in common. What's going on in their life? Are they so busy that they don't have another hour in their week to be with the church when the church is having uh, all sorts of activities and, and uh, various outreach opportunities and door? Why is it that something always seems to get in the way of that, that, that they attend and we're thankful that they do? But isn't faith about discipleship? Isn't faith broader than just a checkbox on a Sunday morning? Got my religion for the week. I'm going to go on with the rest of my week. I think it's important that, that we understand that what Christ said is that we must take up our cross daily. We must take up our cross daily. We must not let one act of faith be the end of faith. We have to see the whole of what God wants us to do and what God wants us to be. When we think about discipleship, it involves evangelism. It involves continuing in fellowship. It involves teaching the apostles doctrine. It involves having things in common, breaking bread in homes, restoring the airing, bearing one another's burdens, uh, caring for widows and orphans, caring for the sick and the prisoner and the naked and the thirsty and the hungry. All of these things are involved in discipleship. May we and I as preach, you and I as preachers, may we have the courage to stand up and say, you know, we could really, we could really use you around here sometimes. I need you here. I need to be encouraged by you. You have some strengths that maybe I don't have. Could you come around a little bit more often to you seem when you walk into a room to infuse energy into it? Would you mind coming into our presence a little bit more often for that? It's discipleship. Being with your brethren, letting them have a top notch in your in your opinions of those who are around you. When we think about being faithful enough, we must be individuals that see faith as the whole. I'm faithful. And that means a mother. That means a mother, that mother who feels like I've been to church for three years with this kid and I don't think I've heard a sermon yet. She's in the back and she's wrestling that alligator, right? And, 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 the, and the kid is, is screaming and crawling and things like that. And uh, she feels like, man, I just, I go to worship, but I go and I get apart and then I'm out and then I'm back in and I'm not sure what he said and I'm not sure what the sermon's about and then I go home and I'm tired and she's being faithful, right? She's there. She's bringing that child. She's training that child up when she's singing Jesus loves me at night as she puts that child to bed when she's buying that child a, a little Bible for that little one-year-old to hug and sing in that toddler class that's an act of faith it, it's not in the limelight it doesn't get a lot of praise sometimes from the pulpit but she's being faithful she's doing what she can to raise her children up in the fear of God that's what discipleship is about. When we think about discipleship and we think about faithfulness, I want to encourage you as you read through your New Testament to see that in the apostles and in the disciples in the New Testament, you won't find a cookie cutter among them. Paul is different than Peter. Peter's a great leader. He's impulsive, right? He uses that to God's glory. Apollos, he's an eloquent spokesman. From Scripture, it doesn't seem like Paul had that. But when you talk about in terms of writing, 
Paul's a genius, right? You read through Romans, uh, you know, you see just the brilliance of the apostle, his handle on the Old Testament, his handle on the law, his handle on the prophet. These, these apostles didn't mirror each other in terms of being a cookie cutter. James and John were sons of thunder, right? You know, here are guys that they put it out there, right? The Lord's church needs uh, people that will just put it out there. Right. They weren't cookie cutters of one another. They used their strengths. They used their personalities to God's glory. Phoebe, Lydia, on and on we could go with multiple uh, disciples in the New Testament. All of them using their their faith, trying to grow up into the head who is Jesus Christ, our Lord. Faithful enough means that we see the whole and we see that our life, our whole of life, not one act. Not checking one box off in our life, the whole of faith. That's what faithful enough is about. Faithful enough also, when we think about it, keeps God always as the object of faith. Faithful enough always keeps God as the object of faith. I see sometimes in our brotherhood and uh, see in young people, see people in middle of life and in the aged as well, a lot of depression Anxiety, worry, struggling, right? Here's a trial that comes upon them and they think, what am I going to do? Here are folks that uh, lose a spouse. How am I going to live now? Maybe they've been married 40, 50 years. How am I going to live without? I've got to wake up tomorrow without her. What am I going to do? My life, I'm not ready for this. How am I going to get through this? Sometimes in life, folks, if we're not careful, we'll turn inward in our faith. There's a there is an aspect of faith, and I want to emphasize this pretty clearly. That is obedience is essential in faith. You cannot even begin to explain faith until you explain some act of obedience, whether an act of the mind or an act of the body. Faith is an act of obedience. Faith at its core is, uh, is obedient. But faith is not reduced to obedience. What do I mean by that? An atheist can obey God. An atheist can obey God. An atheist can love his wife. Atheist can love his neighbor as himself. Atheist can be a wonderful employee. An atheist, if you ask, is this aspect of this atheist life, would it conform to the will of God in terms of loving their children, being a good employee, right? You would have to answer yes. But they don't do those things out of faith. We ought not to reduce faith to obedience. Faith, the object of faith is not us. Object of faith is in a power far beyond us. Amen. And so the mind, as we put our life and our strength and our body into the hands of God, trust in a power that's beyond our control. You and I are to walk by faith and not by sight. But I'm so fleshly. I wake up and look in a mirror and it's flesh. I, I move around throughout my day and it's flesh. I, I, I drink and I eat and all those things. I move, it's flesh, 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 flesh. 
There is a veil that I see in this world. But there's a power working in this world beyond the veil. There's God who works in providence. God who works in providence to my good. And sometimes when God works in providence to my good, that means that I suffer. That means that I'm challenged. That means that I'm tried. That means that, that I'm even in the midst of a trial, a second trial may come upon me. And then in the midst of the second trial, like Job, a third trial may come up. I'm not ready. I, I didn't sign up this morning to get all these trials at once. Right? What's God trying to do? He's trying to lead me closer to him. All things work together for good. So faith should not be reduced to obedience. Faith includes it. Right? Faith without works, James chapter 2. Faith without works is death. It includes obedience, but it's not reduced to it. I'm trusting in a power that is beyond me. I'm trusting in his insight. If we're not careful, we might even read the scriptures. Any man, James says, if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. Well, uh, here I'm praying for wisdom. Well, does that mean when I pray for wisdom that the way that that prayer is answered is for me to study my Bible more? Well, that would be part of it, right? Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And sometimes I stand at a crossroads and I say, Lord, help me. I've got two good options that I'm trying to, to weigh here. I've got two good options that I'm trying to make a decision. I'm not sure which path to take. Help me, Lord. So we want to be sure that in our teaching on faith and in our our explaining of faith that we don't reduce faith to obedience. It includes it, but it's not limited to us. Instead, uh, we don't want to uh, uh, teach Christianity that's just do it yourself. That, uh, you know, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. You know, you'll get through this. Uh, I'm praying for you. Good luck. Right? We don't, want to, we don't want to teach a Christianity like that. Bear one another's burdens. That means I'm going to come alongside of you. How can I help you? You know, how can I help you uh, in whatever trial that you're, you're uh, to the extent that I can? They'll have to bear their own burdens, Galatians says, but we'll have to, we should want to help them through that. Instead, faith trusts what God can do. I'm putting in my confidence, my trust, my life into his hands in what he can do. And I'm not saying it's all up to me. I'm putting my trust in his power that is beyond me. I'm walking by faith. And also I would suggest to you this. There is an overlap of faith and hope. Overlap of faith and hope. When... When you look at a young man and you're encouraging a young man in the gospel, encouraging them to be preachers, uh, it's great. There's some guys in here this afternoon who a few weeks ago were polishing the pulpit and they were preaching their hearts out. It's wonderful. Pouring their lives for hours, for several days so that they could give a three to five minute speech. Fantastic. Faith is seeing not only what is, but what can be. That involves hope somewhat, right? But faith sees not only what is, but what can be. What did Paul see in Timothy? What did Paul see in Titus? He saw not not only what, what was, but what could be. And you know, when God looks at you and I, isn't it true that sometimes He believes in us more than we believe in ourselves? 
He entrusts in our hands this glorious gospel. Me with all my frailties. Me with all my weakness. He entrusts that into me to go and to proclaim it to those who I come in contact with. Faithful enough means that we don't limit faith to obedience. It includes it, but it's not limited uh, to it. We don't want faith to become uh, just a labor. We want faith to be a labor of love. Also, when we think about faith, I would encourage you as you think about faith to let God keep score. I realize that, that uh, quantitatively we like, uh, like to look at numbers and when you're doing mission work and you come back with a certain number of baptisms, uh, it makes folks excited and things of that nature. But think about the, the occasion of, of the widow who dropped her two copper coins into the temple treasury. Now, if you were counting money that day, what would you think about two copper coins? Probably go on that after the decimal, right? And uh, if it was converted into dollars, I'm not sure exactly what two copper coins are worth. But uh, widow dropped two copper coins. If you were the treasurer, if you were counting the money that day, you would have glossed right over it. You would have seen the large amounts, right? You would have seen the big money that was in the temple treasury. But God looks at things differently than you and I do. He sees what you and I don't. And here is this widow, and, and for ages, for two millennia, right, since it happened, we learn of her faithfulness. We have no idea how much the big money people put in that day. We know how much she did. She put her all into it. I want to encourage us that there are times when we can't see, or we are unaware, or we are ignorant of how faithful somebody is. You take a person who is caring for their their aged parent who has Alzheimer's and they're there maybe around the clock. They're feeding them. They're taking them to doctor's appointments. The demands upon that person, that is an act of faith. That is an act of love. And now circumstances in their lives demand that they care for their parents. And so we ought to let God keep score and let God count. And then finally, I would uh, submit to you this afternoon that when you think about being faithful enough that we should turn ourselves away from human perfectionism. Human perfectionism and human idealism. If I was to ask you these questions, do you always do your best? Always. Every moment. Do you ever... Let things go that you should have done. Is your Christian armor always ready for battle, no matter what the circumstances bring your way? Is your helmet always on just where it should be? Always in the right place. How about the belt of truth, right? How about your shoulders? How about your feet? Are they always running to peace? Is every element of your Christian armor always in its proper place? Every single moment, without exception. Do you rise in the night ready to to preach the gospel? Always. Every moment. Never missing a beat. You see, 
there's this idea of perfectionism. And if we're not careful, we'll take the gospel and we'll squeeze out of the gospel. We'll wring out the gospel, any element of forgiveness or grace and, and mercy and love and patience and any sort of rest that's in the gospel. We'll squeeze it out because what God really wants is he's demanding and, and he's, a, he's a relentless taskmaster. And he expects more and more and more. And when you've done your best, he wants a little more. And when you've done your best, he wants a little more than that. And what God is, sometimes the gospel can be preached that way to folks. And they, their souls will dry up because they see God as, as holy in which he is. And they see God as morally perfect, which he is. But what they see is that I'm never able to, to glorify God with my feeble, feeble works. Human perfectionism. Instead, what the scriptures teach is that God is perfecting us. He's using what you have. We sing that song sometimes, just as I am, right? You know, coming just as you are, right? Well, it should be just as you are at some point in your life and just as you used to be uh, after that moment, right? You would hope as a person would grow uh, in faith. But God is perfecting us. First John chapter two, verse five says this. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. 1 John 4, 12. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Proverbs 3, verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Here is this, this idea that this human perfectionism, this human idealism that, that when I get this uh, to this level, I need to be a little bit greater and greater and greater and greater. But we have to understand that a life of faith, God understands where you're at and where you're at now. And he wants to mold you and fashion you. He wants to perfect you, but it's not by the same goals that humans set up in their, in their terms of idealism and perfectionism. When God perfects, what he does is he takes, he takes common ordinary fishermen, makes them apostles. God takes a, a, a wild and ruthless Samson and puts him in the hall of faith. How could somebody like Samson end up there with, with Noah, right? With Moses. How could Samson be in that list? That guy was, that guy was outside the box, wasn't he? I mean, he takes someone like Samson. He takes a prostitute like Rahab and lets her usher in triumph and victory for a nation. He takes a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands and goes and multiplies disciples in Samaria, a place where Jews have no dealing. When God perfects, he takes two fiery sons of thunder, James and John, and teaches truth. He takes an impulsive Peter. He takes a tax collector. He'll take you and he'll take me. And he'll perfect us. How faithful is faithful enough? In every act, in every act that's under the sun, you can ask this question. Is this an act of faith? Does this please the Lord? Does this bring glory to his name? There's not a human action that you can ask that's out there. If the scriptures furnishes us completely unto every good work, you can know, you can know right now whether you're faithful or whether you're not. 
when judgment day comes, there's not going to be a big gray area where those who were almost there, not quite yet, I thought I was, there's going to be the faithful. When Jesus comes back and deals with this planet, what he's taking home to heaven is the faithful. Will you pray? Will you pray with me? Lord, help us to be faithful. Help us to love you and to, to lift up your high and holy name. We know, Lord, that we are but humble servants in your sight. We pray, Lord, that you'll use us to your glory. We pray, Lord, that we won't let human idealism or human perfectionism consume us. We pray, Lord, that we won't turn inward in our faith to where we, we think that, that salvation is up to us, but we'll trust in Christ as our Savior. Help us, Lord, to be faithful in all things. Help us to glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Daniel, thank you very much. That was a, a really a complex uh, topic and a potential minefield. Uh, but he navigated us through it in a very, very uh, good way. So thank you for that. And uh, we will consider ourselves dismissed. Yes, sir. Thank you. you are very inspiring. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm a Marine, I'm a soldier, and I get motivated. <laughs>